Hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. We're so glad that you chose to join us today, and once again, welcome. Now, what we're doing today is uh, we want this message to relate to you in your everyday life, meaning the series that we're about to begin is going to be called Be Christian. Yes, you heard me right, Be Christian. And the reason that we're calling it Be Christian is because it's been a challenge for people to actually express the life-transforming reality of their relationship with God in the heated environment in which we find ourselves today on a daily basis outside of the church walls or outside of community group or sometimes in their social media space because of uh, all that's been going on around us. But we're going to receive and embrace the charge from God by his word to be Christian despite what we see going on around us. And it was actually uh, made me think of an episode of Songland that I saw recently um, where Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas was actually being presented with lyrics that he put on one of his most recent al- albums. You might have heard the uh, song, but it's actually called Be Nice. And he, the lyrics, if you're not familiar with them, go a little something like this. It says, hey, be different, uh, be nice, just smile, I promise it'll change your life. You're welcome. And yes, no, that is not just the uh, the adage or like what we're actually putting our hope in, that actually smiling will change our life. We know it's Jesus Christ that changes our life. We know that it's the gospel of God that changes our life. But what we do know is that we need to be Christian during these times and be different than the world around us. And so today we're going to break the message into two parts, the old man and the new man. We're going to talk about the old man as the old man and the old life where we were wrapped up in the ways of the world and how everyone did things in the world. And then we're going to talk about the new man, what it actually looks like when we're choosing to be Christian by the power and spirit of God. So before we do anything else, Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. And we thank you that you've shown us shown us a clear distinction between when we live for you and when we're being wrapped up in the world around us. God, we're praying that you would help us to be Christian, to really live in a God-honoring, Christ-fearing, Jesus-loving way during this time and always. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today if you have a Bible, let's open to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 17, starting by talking about the old man. And here, the Apostle Paul was writing to a group of Christians, a church in the middle of the Roman Empire that didn't always give themselves ideologically to the things of God. However, Paul was writing directives from the Holy Spirit as to how they were to live as Christians despite the environment around them. And that's what we need to learn from today, especially when we're on the countdown to an oh so important day in our nation and for really the nations as we go forward together. And so let's start in verse 17 when Paul said this, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, 
greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, when we see this distinction here, Paul's again, I love God because he gives us practical instruction. He gives us practical instruction about what he expects of us, his commands that are to be obeyed if we're to call ourselves followers of his. Now, God in his word is obviously giving us the knowledge of himself, saying if you want to know God, you need to know this word, this Bible. If you want to know what to expect of him, you need to know his promises offered in that same word. But if we're also to know what God expects of us, how to love him, he says, look no further than the directives that I give you through this word. And what we see is that he's starting off by talking about the old man. And in the old way of life, that is what we are tempted to be wrapped up in during our time today. Our time today is one where, like Paul said in verse 17, that there are Gentiles, meaning those who don't have the law of God. Those who in Paul's time were separate from the Jews, didn't have relationship with God, and therefore were given over to futile thinking in their minds. And I think that it's not hard to imagine all of the chaos and the hopelessness that we see coming out of people today around them because they're living like the Gentiles, separate from God, in the futility of their thinking. And it reflects a, really a testimony of a man named, uh, <clears throat> named Richard Wormbrand, who was part of the persecuted church in the Soviet bloc. And William Lane Craig talks a little bit about how his experience reflected those who live in the futility of their thinking a life separate from God. And Wormbrand actually said this, if God does not exist and there is no immortality, then all the evil acts of men go unpunished and all the sacrifices of good men go unrewarded. But who can live with such a view? Richard Wormbrand, who has been tortured for his faith in communist prisons, says this, that the cruelty of atheism is hard to believe when man has no faith in the reward of good or the punishment of evil. There is no reason to be human. There is no restraint from the depths of evil which is in man. The communist torturers often said, there is no God, no hereafter, no punishment for evil. We can do what we wish. I have heard one torturer even say, I thank God in whom I don't believe that I have lived to this hour when I can express all the evil in my heart. He expressed it in unbelievable brutality and torture 
inflicted on prisoners. And this is the sad reality for anyone who is living a life separate from God and the futility of their thinking. The Bible says that they are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is due um, um, in them due to the hardness of heart that you can't even feel anymore when you're doing the wrong thing. That when you've separated yourself, whether intentionally or unintentionally, from God, what happens is that your, your conscience even becomes calloused. Your conscience becomes calloused and people begin to give themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And that's a culture that's really blowing up around us to this day. There is a man named Father Dwight Longenecker who actually expressed it this way, that he said, first we overlook evil, then we permit evil, then we legalize evil, then we promote evil, and then we celebrate evil. Then we persecute those who still call it evil. And if that's not our culture today, with people having a lust, a greed for every practice and every kind of impurity, agreeing with those who do it, trying to affirm the culture that would get behind it and then persecute those who try to stand against it. I don't know what else does. It's the reason that we're having so much trouble today in our times when we're trying to deal with social justice issues, when we're trying to deal with issues of infanticide, when we're trying to deal with issues that have to do with racism and bigotry, when we're having to deal with issues where people are calling themselves Christian, but rejecting authority, when we're calling themselves Christian, but not living according to the commands, statutes, ways, and heart of God as expressed in his word. This is what happens when we get caught up and live as the Gentiles do, like everybody else does. But if you're going to be Christian, you're to live differently. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, with Jesus as Lord of your life, you are called to come out and be separate. And this is what God's talking about here in verse 20. He says, but that is not the way, just like everybody else, that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as is the truth is in Jesus. He said, to put off your old self, to put off your old self. So meaning that when you come to Jesus, there should be a distinction between the way everybody else is doing things, which would have consisted of your old man or your old woman in the way you practice things, and the way your new man or your new life is being left out because you've been transformed by Christ. This is the evidence of repentance. Even when Paul was talking in the scripture, he says, prove your repentance by your deeds, by putting off the old man where everybody, you are doing things like everybody else and put on the new self, the new man by which you are doing things like Christ. And he says, do not give yourselves to the corrupt, deceitful desires. And that's the hard part, because when we're steeped in a culture 
has given themselves to atheism or all types of sin, affirming the evil that's surrounding us, what happens is we can be, even as Christians, drawn into deceitful desires, thinking it's okay to live or respond like everybody else when God said it's not. But we're instead to be renewed, renewed, verse 23, in the spirit of our minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness, meaning doing what's right before God and holiness, which is an internal motivation saying that every everything that I say, everything that I think, everything that I do, every way that I respond is set apart to God and it needs to honor him, it needs to reflect him and it needs to please him if I'm going to be Christian. This is the distinction between the old man and the new man. The old man does things like everybody else, but the new man, God says, I'm gonna show you what he, or if you're a woman, she should look like. What is it you should look like? What is it that you should look like if you are actually going to be Christian and put on the new man transformed by Christ? You, as a believer, don't have the right to do anything but this, but put on the new man and live differently from the world around you. You don't have the right to do anything but honor Jesus in your speech but honor Jesus in your thoughts, but honor Jesus in your responses to people, honor Jesus in your interactions with the world around you. And again, he makes it very plain what that means when he says this in verse 25. He says, therefore, having put away, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And this is what it means to be Christian, to put on the new man, to not live like everybody else, even during our heated and tumultuous times. We need to be even prepared for what's coming a month from now. He says, regardless of the results, he says, you are commanded by God to be Christian and live like this. And so what does it mean? He says, put away all falsehood. Don't lie to each other. But instead, speak the truth to his neighbor because we are members one of another. 
And that's on a twofold front, right? First, as a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you belong to Jesus, you're part of the family of God through your being born again by his spirit and by his word. That means by Jesus' blood, you are washed clean. You belong to the family of God. And anyone who truly belongs to Jesus and calls himself a Christian is your brother or sister. And we belong to one another, despite our ethnicity, despite our nationality, despite our socioeconomic background, despite our life experiences, we belong one to another and we need to treat each other that way. We need to have each other's backs. And in the communities in which we live, we need to be a blessing to those we call our neighbors. Because what affects us is going to affect them. And what affects them is going to affect us. So we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus, bringing this gospel of hope and peace with God to anyone we can relate with. And he says, be angry. Be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. And this has been a challenge for me. It's been a challenge for, um, I'm sure, many of you. It's been a challenge in our communities at large during this time to be angry and not sin. What does that mean? Well, what God's saying here is that sin, anger does not equal sin. You can be angry just like God himself has been angry throughout history and in fact is even angry today. God is angry to, in the sin that's perpetuating itself throughout our land. God's angry with the racism. God's angry with the infanticide. God's angry with the treatment of the foreigner in our borders. God's angry with the way that we literally would look to reject the authority that he's instituted in our land. God is not pleased with the fact that people would call themselves Christians, but not represent him in love towards their fellow man. See, God hates sin. He loves sinners, but he hates sin. And God gets angry at sin, but God himself never sins. God himself never sins. And he's calling his people to be Christian and do the same. You can be angry at the sin, but don't sin yourself. Don't be pulled down and caught up in the same cultural tide that's having you respond in the flesh like everyone else. Don't give room or opportunity for the devil to divide God's church, to divide your family, to divide the people in a community. Instead, we should be building towards God's purposes with the people of God together to be a blessing to the cities in which we live. We don't need to tear them down. We need to build them up. We need to express the kindness and the grace and the gospel of God and not allow the devil and his ways to define us. What does the devil do? He tries to pounce on opportunities to bring division. He tries to pounce on opportunities to bring accusation. He tries to pounce on opportunities to actually divide God-ordained relationships. He said, God is saying, do not allow him to do this. How? By not allowing anger to define you. Do not allow the sun to go down on your anger. 
which means that every day, yes, there may be sin in the land that I'm, I'm praying against, I'm speaking against, I'm, I'm, I'm actually trying to work to alleviate, but what happens is I'm not going to be defined by my anger when I go to bed at night. I'm going to every day worship God and once again remember his sovereignty. I'm going to once again remember his goodness, his redemption, his gospel, his love, his grace that he brings to the world. And I'm going to release my anger to him and be filled instead with forgiveness, be filled instead with kindness, be filled instead with hope for what God can do, not what man can do, but what God can do when I go into my days tomorrow. And I'm going to give the opportunity to the devil. He also says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with those in need. Meaning that I'm going to look to be a blessing to the community around me. I'm going to look not to take, but to give. What can I give to the community around me? How can I, in the midst of heated moments, look to de-escalate by giving, by de-escalate by actually uh, loving, de-escalate by actually showing some grace, treating others as I myself would want to be treated. I think that that's part of what God's talking about here. He says, the answer isn't fighting fire with fire. The answer is contributing and offering grace to those in need. He said, and this is a big one, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that I may give grace to those who hear. Now, this is where I, I can just, can we just all say that all of us have fallen short at some point on this part? Letting any type of corrupting talk come out of our mouths, and that's whether it be verbally, that means something that you type or you post in your social media, that you encourage or that you enable through your agreement. All of us have been guilty of falling short of this, letting corrupting talk, being part of every one of us, I'm sure at some point have been part of the overarching problem, the intensity, the factions and divisions that we see in our land today. But God's saying we can repent and be Christian by only allowing out of our mouths, that's what which is helpful for building others up. Building others up. So before I speak, I need to say, is this going to be helpful for the person that I'm about to communicate with? Is this going to be a helpful post? Is this going to be a helpful communication or is it going to only incite greater anger in them? Is it going to only incite greater division or is it going to actually build bridges, build bridges of peace? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be known as sons of God. Am I, am I actually being a peacemaker in this moment or am I looking to tear things down? Well, he says, only give grace. Go only speak words that give grace to those who hear it. And grace is an important word because it's how God treats us. He doesn't give us what we actually deserve, but grace is giving people what they don't deserve. And that's what our speech should be filled with. That's like if somebody came and 
punch me in the face and instead of striking them back as they deserve, I'm looking to bless them and say, you know what? You're bound in your soul. It caused you to do that to me. I'm not going to return it to you, but I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, kindness, that will hopefully liberate you and bring you out of your own place of bondage. That's what God's looking for from his people. And it starts with our speech. And he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And my goodness, I I can't tell you how grieved I was, and I'm sure the Holy Spirit was, even in this past week where people, certain people were getting sick, and how many people were celebrating, celebrating this sickness and the the ailments of those who were uh, really suffering around them. Now, in our hearts, heart of hearts, we might have thought, well, it's just justified. It's justified that they'd be suffering as they are now. But whenever we cross that line into malice, wishing ill will towards people, we're sinning. We're sinning. And I think that a lot of times we can try to mask it in righteous indignation, but it's not. It's not. And there was a man named Carlos Rodriguez who actually said recently that if you want to flip tables like Jesus, make sure you are also willing to die on the cross for the people sitting there. If you want to flip tables like Jesus in righteous indignation, make sure you're also willing to die on the cross for the people sitting there. I think that's powerful because that cuts against malice. It cuts against slander, trying to ruin the reputation or the um, uh, just tear people down with our words. If you're going to be Christian, you cannot allow yourself to go there, no matter how justified you feel in it. Why? Because then the bitter root takes, takes a hold of you and makes you a man or a woman that you're not intended to be. But through repentance, you can come back to the freedom of Christ come back to the freedom of Christ. It does not mean that we ignore the sin, nor that we do not address the sin, but it means that it doesn't define us. We don't become the very thing that we hate. And what I mean by hate is hating the sin, not the people. Because he says instead, be kind to one another. We need to be Christian by being kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. See, that's the answer to our world. That's a practical answer to the tensions in our world today. Are we going to be kind? Are we going to be defined by kindness? Am I going to let that be the filter through which I have all of my interactions regardless of what another man or woman is doing? Am I going to be kind? through my personal interactions, through my social media interactions, through my private discussions. Am I gonna be kind and tender-hearted? Tender-hearted means that you're soft enough to not only have an opinion yourself, but actually to be in a place of humility to learn. It goes both ways, right? A tender heart is a malleable heart. A hard heart is that callousness that the old man was referring to. 
right? Where it's like, I have my opinions, I'm staunch in them, and I'm not moved. I will not be moved from them because I'm right, they're wrong, and everybody else can go to hell. And I mean that in a literal, literal sense, not a metaphorical sense. That's how people feel. But a tender-hearted person is one who says, you know what? I care. I care not only about my cause or the people um, who I feel like I'm defending or are affected, but I care about those who are bound in the sin that's actually causing the pain as I perceive it today for the very people I'm defending. Tender-hearted and forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Why, why is he saying that? Well, he's saying that to be Christian, we need to be a forgiving people. Why? Because there's always going to be an offense somewhere, some way, at some time, somehow. And unless we learn to forgive people, which means to pardon them and to treat them as if they are not in the wrong, not that they're not, but you're treating them with a redemptive attitude saying, I'm going to give them an opportunity for forgiveness just like God gave me in my wrongdoing an opportunity for forgiveness. He said, unless we're willing to live with that type of posture, we are not living like Christ. We are not living as Christians. We're not being Christians. But that is the command of God, not only now in this hour, but a month from now when we have that oh so important day. And whatever happens afterwards, this needs to be our reference point. Be Christian. Be kind. Be tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We will not give opportunity for the devil, but instead we believe that Jesus Christ, his gospel, and his kingdom are going to be advancing during this time of unrest to save souls, deliver people from hell, deliver people both from their personal hell and also the hell to come by seeing them reconciled with God and one another. That is our mandate as the church. That is our mandate as Christians. And so would you join me in that today, regardless of what you have done or where you have been? And can we pray that God would give us the grace to walk in that way so that we can be Christians, putting off the old man and clothing ourselves with the new in the character, mind, and spirit of Christ. In Jesus' name. So I want to start by praying for my brothers and sisters. And if you say, you know what, to yourself, I, I've gotten caught up. Truth be told, I've gotten caught up and I've been living in the futility of the thinking of those around me who really don't know God and I've acted just like them. But I'm asking God to forgive me and to actually give me grace to continue to walk forward in his word and in his spirit. If that's you, why don't you pray with me today? Almighty God, I admit to you today that you are holy. You are holy, you are sovereign, and God, in the midst of our times, even as we look to you for justice, even as we look to you for reconciliation, even as we look to you for righteousness in our land, God, we know that 
it's a temptation and many of us have gotten caught up in the response that the Gentiles have, the response of the world around us. And we've lived in darkness of understanding and the futility of our thinking, even giving ourselves to the greed of impurity as even just a, a, a response of the frustration that we felt with it all. And God, we're asking that you would forgive us our sin and forgive us for being caught up in the tide of our culture. And we're asking you that you would once again separate us, call us out from among them and separate us so that we might actually live in the righteousness and holiness that you've called us to. God, help us to not only receive your grace and forgiveness this day, but also have the power by your word and Holy Spirit to offer it to others. God, may we be peacemakers. May we be those who are reconcilers. May we be carriers of the gospel of peace. That we might see many born again and come into new life, even during this time, in Jesus' name. And for some of you who say, you know what? Uh, if I were to be honest, I've never known the freedom that the Bible describes. I've never known in my soul the freedom in my heart that enables me to be tenderhearted or kind to others. I've never known the freedom of what it means to be able to forgive others who've offended me. I've been violated so many times. But I know that I'm no different than my offenders. And I, I know that I need to be forgiven by Almighty God because I'm a sinner too. And I want to be make my peace with God today. If that's you, why don't you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that because of my rebellion against you, I deserve death and hell. But I don't want it and I'm sorry for my sin. And I ask you to forgive me for all the ways that I've offended you, broken your commands, and lived at odds with you. And I'm asking you, God, today to make me a new creation. I believe that Jesus lived the perfect life that I should have lived, performed miracles showing you as God, and on that cross died the sacrificial death that I should have died. I believe that because he was sinless, three days later you raised him from the dead so that I could have forgiveness of sins and new life in you. I proclaim Jesus as my Lord today, and I ask you to empower me and teach me how to love you as you've loved me from this day forward, enabling me to love others around me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the good news is, is that if you prayed this prayer, God says that he's made you a new creation. And would you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash new life. There you can find not only resources, but also next steps of how to walk out this new life in Christ. And again, are committed now more than ever during this time to be Christian honoring and loving Jesus as he's loved you and giving him the worship through our interactions with the world around us, the praise that he deserves. So let's do that receiving the encouragement that we can get from our community groups this week. Please go online and find one if you have not yet. And next week, please do bring a friend who also needs to hear this good, life-transforming, liberating good news of Jesus Christ, our resurrected King. God bless you. We'll be praying for you this week, and we'll see you next week. God bless.